Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast. Uh, this is where uh, my lovely co-host and I talk about video games uh, every two weeks. Different games every episode that we've been playing. And, of course, when I, I mention my co-host, I'm, of course, talking to the legendary Walter C80's Fedchuck. Walter, how you doing, man? Legendary. Wow, that yes. I, I see you're now getting into the adjective game here that I, I've been doing with you for a while. Uh, I'm I'm <laughs> doing pretty well. I don't know if I've been doing anything that is uh that would be classified as legendary, you know, just kinda kinda living life. Uh I took a one, a just over one month break from League of Legends, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, got suckered back into it via our mutual friend uh, Amanda Stevens, uh, and played some games of that, and went, oh yeah, this game really pisses me off. I hate humanity. Uh, and then I played TFT <laughs> a little bit with one of my high school friends, and, and you know what? Uh, our battlers aren't as bad as I thought they were. I, I might have to give that game some more time and and maybe uh, maybe talk about it as a future episode. Uh, but other than that, mm. you know, just kind of kind of living life, taking everything day by day, and trying to escape from the the hellscape that we seem to be living in right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, video games very helpful for escaping to a different place than where we are at, which is the thing I think a lot of people uh, can benefit from at this moment in time. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting you bring up TFT because, uh, as you know, I, I, I do have my own auto-battler of choice. I'm a big super auto-pets guy. Um, but I, I do think TFT is, is really interesting in how it blends people who play League of Legends and therefore have an intrinsic understanding of what these characters and the items do and people who just really like auto-battlers. And being able to to work on the clock to build the best composition possible. So uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I look forward to that being a thing that we potentially talk about at a later point in time. But Walter, my understanding is that you have played a different game over these last two weeks that you are uh, excited to bring to the table here. Well, I don't know if excited is the right word <laughs> oh boy so i think i have learned a lesson here doing these is that maybe i should stop playing games that i have on pedestals in my mind uh because you know destroy all humans i you know what wasn't for me and here I was uh, in the same exact, uh, you know, for, humble bundle for Ukraine that I got to Strial Humans, Fable Anniversary Edition um, from Lionhead Studios, the very first of the series and a series that I hold some fond memories of playing Fable 2 on my 360 back in the day. Um, it was something that, you know, once I got the uh, the bundle and it came in, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give that I'll give that game a shot. Like, I, I like the Fable series. I haven't played it one of those in a while and, and was definitely something that was kind of on my list. And I figured after, um, after playing uh, to the rescue uh, that I wanted, you know, something a little bit more triple a, something a little bit more solid and RPG and um, God, this game is fucking slow. Holy <laughs> shit. This game is slow. It feels like it was made to run on a 360 it feels like it was made uh you know back in uh back in 2007 or whatever the first one was um i you know i get it it's a remastering of uh you know uh yeah remastering of the original game uh the the lost chapters including kind of the the DLC content that was added onto it. I wasn't expecting top of the line graphics. I wasn't expecting any like ridiculous combat or anything like that. Um, but man, time did not do this game and this series justice. Um, I got about 10 hours into it, uh, looking at, um, you know, how, how long does it take to beat? It looks like the main story is about 13 to 15 hours, depending on how quickly you're kind of like, you know, uh, pushing your way through it if you remember fable one at all i just beat the arena um if that means anything to you um but i put 10 hours into it and i'm ready to put it back down and i'm ready to move on to something else <laughs> that's, that's very fair you know I, fable was one of those series that 
in theory, I should have played back in the day because I had an Xbox 360. I love RPGs, story-based games. It, it all lines up, but for whatever reason, I, I think I, I didn't have the original Xbox, so I never played the original, and I was like, oh, well, if I didn't play the original, I can't really play the sequels until that happens. And by the time the anniversary edition came out in 2014, I was just, I, I, I had moved on with my life, you know? Um, so I guess, like, Fable is a series that gets a lot of credit for its uh, ability to uh, give the players uh, meaningful decisions to make. Uh, and for uh, Peter Molyneux uh, promising the world and delivering something that is uh, less than what was promised, but at least has its own kind of flavor and feel to it. Uh, what? I, I, I guess, how much looking back on it now with this anniversary collection, do you feel like it lives up to the reputation that Fable has built. So I think part of the problem that I had is that I, I mainly played Fable 2. I don't remember if I ever played Fable 1 back in the day, but I distinctly remember playing Fable 2. And it's sort of the, the first game, second game, or first movie, second movie sort of syndrome, where the first one is sort of the proof of concept, is showing off. It, it is very much Star Wars A New Hope, Versus Empire Strikes Back. You got to start somewhere. You got to prove that the, the, the idea, that the concept works. And then you get to go hog wild in the second game because now you've been given a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch more time, energy, all that jazz because you've proven that you can already do the thing. Um, the thing with Fable is that I, I do remember from this time period, Fable is sort of up on this pedestal with... Uh, Elder Scrolls Morrowind of being these sort of console uh, uh, console RPG games. Um, I know they were on PC as well, but that really were marketed on um, on the 360, on the Xbox platforms, um, and were sort of my like first introductions into these open world RPG games. And I had a lot of fun with them. And I think part of the problem here is that again, it's you know, it, it, the Fable 2 was put on such a pedestal, it did feel like the decisions that you were making throughout the game actually mattered. Um, just some of the mechanics and the systems that aren't here in Fable 1 or aren't as clearly here in, in the first game. Uh, in Fable 2, when you were doing, you know, all of the evil, villainous, dark things, there was a very... Um, there was like a corruption. There was, you know, you, you very easily saw it on your skin when you were going down the dark path or uh, when you were going, uh, you know, on the good path, you ended up getting like a, ha a small halo that came around your head. There, there's, you don't feel any of those decisions really in this game. Uh, you don't see them very much. I know that like the gifting and the romance relationship aspect um, in Fable 2 was definitely more thought out, um, was, was better developed, um, was easier to use. And I think ultimately that's one of the things that I, I really struggle with with this game is that I remember all of the systems in Fable 2 being more intuitive, easier to use. It was much easier to get through your expressions menu to choose which expression you wanted to use in front of someone and how much you were influencing their relationship and, and things like that. That when you decided, oh, I want to marry someone, you could go back and remember like, oh, this was the person that I spent two hours with the other day flirting with. I'm going to give them a ring and go ahead and marry them and get them in my marital home. Um, those sorts of things. Um, again, I, I just go back to it being slow. Not only does the combat itself feel very slow and very sluggish, and I get it. Here we are, you know, almost... Uh, almost 10 years later from the release of the uh, of the remastered version of it. Um, but it does. It feels very slow. It feels very clunky. Um, even when you're locking on, it's very hard to like maintain uh, combat focus on one enemy. You definitely, your sword or whatever weapon you're using will get caught up on the scenery if you're not fighting in an open area. Um, I would say that some of the magic in the magic powers do feel extremely exploitable. Um, the, the time stop especially is something that by accident, I was I was trying to figure out how to beat a very specific level because I was having like a mission 
because I'm having trouble with it. I just couldn't figure it out and looked it up because I was like, well, I need to beat this to keep playing the game. That was like at the six hour mark and I was about to give up on the game at that point because there was this very frustrating um, uh, quest beginning to a quest and just on an errant comment, they're like, oh yeah, you want to get the stop time ability as soon as possible and get it really max level because when you fight the two trolls in the arenas, you really need stop time or else you're going to get destroyed. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'm going to get stop time now and level that up a little bit so I can deal with that later on. Um, but that's the other thing is that the story itself, I play, like I said, I played almost 10 hours. It felt like a hundred. It just felt it's so much moving around and in a very kind of, it's not fluid. Like you can teleport to locations, but it's a lot of like, Walk, walk, oh, enemies spawn, fight the enemies, walk, walk, there's more enemies, walk, walk, more enemies, walk, walk. And then, like, when you finally have your fast travel points, it, it helps a bit. Um, but still, it's not like you're not fast traveling to one place and there's your mission. It's like, well, you got to go, like, two more, you know, screens away to get to where you actually want to go. Or two more areas away to, to get to where you actually want to go. Um, and, yeah, it just... It didn't scratch what I wanted. It didn't It didn't catch a hold of me and go like, yes, you're looking for an RPG experience. You want a fable. You want this story. You want this, this long journey. And they really nailed the long part down and not really the journey. I mean, what you're describing there, those kind of random encounters popping up, it's the kind of busy work that... Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to talk about it a little bit when we get to my game uh, in a little bit. Uh, but I, I guess when it comes to a game like this, right, you really need to have that momentum to it, right? You need a story that's gripping you, that gives you clear motivations for where your character is going and why they're doing what they're doing. And the thing that powered it at the time and was something maybe... A little bit more original at the time than it certainly is nowadays was its alignment system right you had the you could be super good or super evil and depending on what you did it would affect certain things about your your costume and your appearance and whatnot now that we are in 2022 and i think those kind of morality systems have been a little bit more played out how how did that side of things affect your decision making if it affected you at all i mean i i don't think it did i don't think there have been very many moments that i've even had these like decisions that actually seem to matter morality like i just beat the arena right so at the end of the arena you and one of your fellow the fellow hero that you like sort of grew up with uh whisper you you know get through the last half of the arena together and there's two winners but like there can't be two winners. You have to... There can only be one. So Jack of Blades, who is, I guess, the villain? I don't know. I didn't play much further than this. Basically says, like, oh, well, the two of you must fight to the death. And Whisper is like, I'm not going to kill you. Let's just put on a good show. And I'm like, okay, so you fight, you fight, you fight. You get her down to low enough health and you get to this moment where it's like, do you kill her or not? And because I took a boast, which is like a bonus objective attached to the quiz, to the quest, that was like, you had two different options that you could pick from. You could choose from spare all your opponents or slay all your opponents. And I was like, it's the arena. Like, who, fuck, who, who am I going to fight in there that I care about? Slay all the opponents. And now here I am with, you know, my cohort that I shared a room with and, you know, hero uh, boarding school. And I'm like... Well, you know what? Uh, I took the quest that said I had to kill you, so I'm going to kill you. I'm sorry. And spammed time stop so that I could just attack her without any repercussions. Um, it felt flat. I, I don't remember any other, like, morality moments off the top of my head that I'm like, yeah, like, that was really, like, oh, I really had to decide to do that. Like, I've done some good things. I went and found four blue mushrooms that I needed to, because some little boy had eaten a blue mushroom and was sick. And this witch said, well, find me four more of them and I can make a potion to heal him. So I like, I went and did that just because that's a quest. I, uh, I, um, 
found a dead pirate's treasure that was a ghost haunting the chicken kicking competition and gave the treasure to his wife because he felt bad but didn't want to tell her that he was a pirate so like he died pirating and you like tell her you could either tell her the truth or you could tell her a lie so i told her a lie to like keep her husband's memory and was like oh yeah he was like a charter fisherman and she's like oh that's why she he always had so many people on his boat but it's weird that they were always dressed like bandits oh well i'm gonna go spend this money now and then i'll think about that some more like there's silly (laughs) stuff like that but there was nothing like there was nothing that was like there wasn't even anything as innocuous as like, do you kill this puppy or do you keep it as your pet? Like nothing like that that I remember off the top of my head other than this one instance with with Whisper. So, I mean, maybe at the time it was. I'm not going to take away kind of the historical impact of it. But, you know, in, in today's gaming sense, like I don't I don't get the hype. And maybe that's the point is that it happened so long ago that you aren't going to get the hype now. The hype existed then and now it's supposed to be this sort of like nostalgia trip. But instead of it being a nostalgia trip, it feels like I, you know, walked into this hall of mirrors and instead of there being like a whole bunch of wacky mirrors, there's just one mirror and somebody standing next to it going, you're fat. Which I guess would be the the doors, the gargoyle doors, which actually those were kind of fun. I I forget like how funny those things are. Well, and and humor was a big selling point for the series at the time, right? Because so many of the contemporary RPGs were all super serious. It was all about, you know, you've got to be the the grand hero on the the great mission and, and, and very much more on that kind of like Lord of the Rings style of approach because... Those were the films that were coming out at the time that people were really, really enjoying. So I guess my, my, my next question is, does, that, does the comedy help? Like, you've, you've described a lot of gameplay issues that I think uh, seem very fair. And uh, any game that requires you to rely on ability to just pause time, I think, inherently going to have some balance concerns. But does the comedy bring people who are there for an atmosphere enough to keep going i think the comedy helps i do think there are some genuinely funny moments i think again but the the hidden doors that you're supposed to go to and do particular things in front of them they they make good quips um some of them are pretty straightforward but some of them are are not um i do think there is some humor across the board there's one mission where you have to go rescue a a kid from like a goblin cave and his grandmother is the one who like sends you and he is like, well, she's the one that made me come in here to find riches to pay, I'll pay for me. And I don't want to go back to her. It's like, well, I got to take you back to get paid and then you can do whatever the hell you want. Like, that's kind of funny. That's a good moment of like her yelling at him after like you show up, you get paid and then he runs away again. Like that's kind of humorous. The chicken kicking competition thing is kind of humorous. Um, the, the mushroom, as you're searching for them, you, uh, find out where one of the locations are that you, you stumble into the, you know, these two guys that had one of them and they're like tripping balls. So they're like, Whoa, man, did you see that your hand could also be a foot if you walk on it? (laughs) Like that kind of like stoner humor, like that's kind of clever. Um, but it really, it really feels like a first step it it truly feels like a proof of concept it truly feels like hey here's sort of the general idea of something that we want to do here's a i looked it up and if you wanted to like 100 percent this it takes like 25 to 30 hours depending on how fast you go so here's a 25 hour experience if this goes well we can make a 80 to 100 hour experience it's sort of like the um the outer worlds where it's like hey mm-hmm. here's a proof of concept i know it's not like 
It's not totally perfect. It's not just this giant, massive monstrosity. But like, it's a proof of concept. Let's prove that we can do it. You know, convince people that this is an IP that they want to be interested in. And then the next game will come out and like really, really go balls to the wall with a bunch of stuff. And it'll be really big, really, you know, all encompassing. We'll build out on all these systems that people like. We'll get rid of the systems people don't like. We'll add some new stuff in. All that jazz. And, you know... Here we are in, in, in you know 2022, and I think at the time I do think that this was an important game. I think it did it did accomplish a lot, even despite it having the M rating. I do feel like this was a lot of people's kind of first RPG, um, and the relationship mechanic and the you know the the choice mechanic and the humor definitely drew people to it. And I don't want to like take the shine off of that, um, but like today. I mean, I'm sure there's indie games that you can buy for like 10, 15 bucks that do everything this is doing better. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I, I think, you know, there there is a certain part of this that's just, you can't go back again, right? Gaming is inherently a medium that, from a technical perspective, certainly builds upon itself and continues to make regular improvements over time but also a medium in which mechanics improve over time, in which as technology improves, we're capable of doing different things than what we've done before. Um, and, and so I, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. I, I am curious. I think it's safe to say from everything you've described that you would not recommend people go play Fable Anniversary. Are you interested now in going back to the other games in the series, the one that you maybe had more affection for and had the opportunity to learn from this game? Or are you ready to put Fable in the past, so to speak? I know that there's conversation of them making a new Fable game. Um, I don't think it's a remastering of Fable 1. I think it's it's a new a new title that they're just calling Fable. Um, so like maybe when that comes out, I might be interested in that. Um, but I don't think that I would go back and play Fable 2 or even Fable 3. Um, I just, I feel like part of the reason that I played this was because I got it in a bundle. It was one of the big headlines in that bundle. And there was this just like momentarily nostalgia pull. It's like, oh yeah, I haven't played Fable in a long time. Like maybe I should... Maybe I should give this a go. And I'm I'm probably being really unfair to a game that looks like it came out, the original release, I think it came out in 2005, um, if I remember correctly, now that I'm I'm looking at it. I think 2004. 2004, um, yes, 2004. But we, and, and the anniversary was 2014, right? right? The, the, the version you played yes. is eight years old. Yes. Um, and I mean, to be fair, I, I don't know, like remastering technology eight years ago, like the graphics don't look that amazing. I, I really, I, I bet it looks better than the original if I booted up the original right now, but it's not like it looks that amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I don't think that with the just enormous backlog that I have of games to play and all the games that are coming out, you know, in the future here, we got god of war coming out on pc like holy crap i gotta play that game like all this stuff i think it was just a momentary like it caught my attention i was like yeah i'm, I'm gonna play this game i'm gonna play this game i'm gonna play this game and just you know two weeks ago when i decided what did i want to play to talk about this episode i, I was scrolling through and it just happened to pop out in front of me and go hey fable and i was like all right cool i'll play it um but no like i don't think i'm going to search and be like yeah i'll buy fable too I'll go play Fable 2. I think I tried this. I realized I don't really like tequila all that much. So I'm not going to go out and try a different tequila. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to vodka. I'm going to go back to gin. Maybe I'll try a rum or something, you know, but I, unfortunately I feel like for me that this was, this was a miss. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't really suggest it. It's still like 35 bucks on Steam, which is just incredible to me wow. that a remaster that was put out eight years ago is still asking $35. <laughs> like this is, that's some Nintendo level skullduggery right there. So yeah, I would say go 
go play a different RPG. You can definitely find like go go play Morrowind. Like that game's old as shit, but that game is still good and as broken as all hell. Go play Oblivion. <laughs> go play Skyrim on your TI eighty three calculator. Like go play something else. Don't don't spend thirty five dollars for a game that you know is very clearly a proof of concept and not much else. Very fair. But Chase, well, I played Fable, and you mm-hmm. told me what game you played ahead of time, right? And I think it's, I, I, I did. I think it's really funny because I was listening. I, I watched uh, Yahtzee Kroshaw's uh, Zero Punctuation from last week, and he had been on a he's been on a bit of a card game bender, and I I'm just realizing <laughs> my good friend and podcast co-host is really on a card game bender. So why are you playing this and not Fire Emblem, the the uh, the uh, Three Kingdoms, the, the Hack Three and Slash hopes. thing? Three Hopes, yes. Yeah. Um, well, uh, spoiler alert for our episode two weeks from now, I am playing Three Hopes. Oh, okay. That's the thing that I'm currently in the middle Perfect. of. That game takes a lot of time. Uh, that is a, a an extensive campaign uh, that I am only about halfway through on, which is why I'm not talking about it tonight. Because I want to see how well it sticks the landing for the one uh, playthrough I'm going through. Uh, spoiler alert, it's fucking awesome. Love Three Hopes, having a blast with it. But this is a game that I was playing right before Three Hopes. And I didn't quite finish it uh, when Three Hopes came out. So I, I took some time uh, the last couple days to make sure that I did. And that game is called Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars. Now, you, you mentioned... That I'm on a card game bender. Th- this is this is my kind of Hulk moment. Like my secret is I'm always on a card game bender. <laughs> I play Legends of Runeterra every day. Card games, that's my shit. That's the genre I grew up in. Uh, it's the one that I, I find the most satisfaction in. And so when I get a chance to see card games done differently, uh, a card game that is intended to break the mold or do something that other games in the genre don't, I pay attention. My ears perk up. I'm curious to see how it comes together. And, Walter, while I am fairly confident you have never heard of the Voice of Cards series before I mentioned that that was what I played, I think you might be familiar with the creative director of the game, Yoko Taro. I am only familiar with it because I am looking at the Wikipedia and looking at his creative credits going, oh yeah, he did Nier. Yeah, he's the Nier Automata guy. Uh, one of the weirdest games ever made, and a game that is critically beloved for the amount of weirdness he threw into it. He's also in the Dragon Guard series, which is another very weird Japanese RPG. He takes on interesting projects. He has a sense of how to navigate this kind of moral ambiguity in the space and applies these just... A str- honestly just strange approach to uh, how he views people and relationships and dynamics in the world in general and applies it to these classic kind of genres to create something that people have never seen before. And Nier Automata is an innovative game. Um, and so when I saw that Yoko Taro had worked on a card game inject that into my veins. I had to find out. I had to see what Yoko Taro's card game would be like. And I will be honest, if I just were to go from the gameplay, I would not have gotten a lot of Yoko Taro influence. The gameplay here is pretty standard. Uh, You've got your your RPG cast of characters. Uh, You choose the three from your team you want to send out there. Each of them has four cards that they can play from, and you unlock more cards as you uh, gain abilities over time. You always have all of the cards in your hand, but you have a limited number of gems uh, that recharge at a rate of one gem per turn. And so it's all about managing your resources, getting the most out of each card that you play in order to defeat a series of escalatingly difficult enemies uh, in what appears on the surface when you first start out to be a pretty bog-standard RPG. Uh, The first thing that happens in this game is you get summoned by the queen, and and she's making a big speech about how there's a dragon that's menacing the world and that you need to go take down. 
And it starts by introducing you um, to a, a group of, of characters uh, known as the Ivory Order. And they're your very stereotypical heroic characters. And if you played the demo, like I played the demo to see if I would like it before I bought the game, you play as the Ivory Order. And then you get there, you get the introduction, and it's like, nah, you're not playing to those guys. You're playing this asshole in the back who just wants to make all of the money, actually. Um, and and so you, you know, have this kind of not heroic at all character uh, who is actively getting in the way of uh, party members that you eventually join fulfilling some of their goals at the start. But over the course of an adventure comes to appreciate the bigger picture on some of these issues and grows as a person and blah, 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 blah. We've heard that story a thousand times before. What we don't have in most other games of this genre is the Yoko uh, Taro touch. And Walter, I'm going to, I'm going to play a a little, uh, I guess not really a game here, but I've sent you an image over discord and I'll include this image uh, in the episode description. This is the young furball, right? Pretty cute, pretty cute monster. Yeah. Right? Looks like a little lion. Just a little furry guy. Would you like me to read the flip side description that you unlock about this fuzzy little furball um, once you've killed enough of them in battle? Yeah, go ahead. These creatures shed rapidly as they age. Upon losing the last of their fur... They cry out the remainder of their bodily fluids, leaving behind a nearly mummified husk. Brutal, right? What the fuck? Yeah, it's dark as hell. So many of these things are incredibly dark as hell. Um, There's the red fungo, um, who is like a, a little mushroom guy. And because he has some healing properties when dead, people throw dead bodies into the forest to draw the fungos that they can then kill in order to make whatever medicine they want to make. Um, you have the undead treants, these kind of forest creatures that are blamed for all of this pestilence and plague in the area. And then you learn that the plague, by the way, was caused by humans being assholes. And he just, the treants just absorb all of that in order to try to prevent things from getting so much worse. And of course, because people don't understand the consequences of their actions, the treants get blamed for it and are actively hunted down. Of course, this is also true of all of the uh, like human characters in the game. You've got a little boy, just a, a, a nice, cute little boy hanging out around town. And when you unlock his flip side, turns out he likes to sneak into trees and look inside his sister's bedroom when she's not looking. <laughs> really fucking creepy, right? Um... You got the Woodlander woman who is a hundred percent just a straight up stalker. Just really loves being in the forest because there are so many places you can hide while you look at the person that she has convinced herself that she is uh, in love with. And of course, you have the the mature man, the older uh, male figure in the because uh, kind of like a generic being um, who uh, it turns out. You know, he talks about, you know, he he promised his wife he would love her until her dying breath. And then on the flip side, you learn that as she's dying, he's like, oh, thank God I don't have to keep that promise anymore. And it's like, whoa, okay, very different game, very different understanding of how these things are being approached. And I could I could keep on going. All of these different uh, characters and monsters all have this fleshed out story and it's not like a ton of story you go into the cards as you unlock things and if you defeat enough of them you get the flip side of the story and you just get these kind of from just a couple sentences so much meaning and symbolism and just really forcing you to stop and consider how this world is built you know, you look at the wraith wolf, these ghost werewolves, and they have no heads. And you're like, oh, these are some some ghost spirits. I guess these are wolves that had their heads chopped off. And it's like, no, no, no. They cut off their own necks to show that they will never be tamed by loathsome humans. It's like, well, shit. What does that say about the humans that these monsters are like, yeah, I'd rather not have a head than allow y'all to use me in any way, shape or form. So that's 
the kind of story that we're talking about here. That's where Yoko Taro comes in. <laughs> I was going to say, Yoko Taro has, from, I I'm, I'm don't think I've played any of his games before, but from the little bit that I've seen, you know, either on Twitch or just people talking about the, the Nier series, that he does have this very, like, critical and kind of depraved view of, of humanity and that humanity is just kind of awful. So it's very intriguing to, like, listen to all these things and, like, all of a sudden be like, oh, well, those treants thing, like, ah, that sounds like a metaphor for, like, the Amazon. Like, my my AP lit skills are, like, cracking out and being like, oh, we get to we get to explore some exposition here and figure out what everything means, huh? So, obviously, Yoko Taro being involved in this drew you to the game. And it sounds like the the story and the interactions that you have with these cards kept you playing it. Why yes. do I feel like there's a butt in here somewhere? Because there is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you. I know you too well, Chase. It, if you search through the collection to find all of these details, you find a really fleshed out dark world um one that that has a lot of moral gray area in which the people who present themselves as good people very much do not seem to be and the monsters who seem to be evil have much more sympathetic backgrounds than you would expect um but if you're just playing the game for quite a long time it is a very very stereotypical rpg you start out in the opening town and you have to go investigate word of, of some monsters nearby. And so you go into a cave and you kill the monsters. And then you find out uh, that the only way to get to where you need to go is to go through the, the mystical forest. And the forest has some weird, spooky things going on that you have to go navigate. And, and once you do, you pick up a elven archer friend and then they help lead you to this other town in which, you know, weird things are going on. And, and it's just like, you can see all of the main story beats coming a mile away. Uh, the thing that makes it different is that atmosphere that you choose how much you invest in. Now, I obviously chose to invest in it very much. I, I found all of these things very interesting. And I, I would see every time a flip side story would pop up, there'd be this kind of moment of excitement and dread because I would know that I unlock this new thing that would be interesting and I knew it would probably make me sad inside. But the experience in between those bits, at least for the first five chapters, is very generic. Uh, it feels very much like an RPG you've played a thousand times. And its conceit, the thing that's meant to help push you forward, is the kind of omniscient narrator who is acting like they are a dungeon master um, and is kind of running you through the game. And the game is presented... This world you're exploring is all navigated through cards that you reveal over time as you move through the world. And so it feels like this very fancy board game that's been set up for you. And that's fine. Um, it's just not as maybe interesting. Uh, for a game that has so many interesting things going on in the background, the surface level, not a lot going on. You do get by the end, a very interesting moral dilemma that is presented to you. One that I think is genuinely uh, affecting, and, and I can see why they built it as the kind of crux of the narrative they were building. Because when you finally uh, find the dragon, it turns out that that dragon would be totally cool with you killing it. Because it turns out that the Ivory Order, the people that present themselves as good guys are keeping the dragon captive and torturing it in order to get uh, a substance that is used as the basis for all of the medicine in the world. So this is a world that has medicine that can solve basically any problem you have, heal any illness, uh, heal any amount of battle damage. It is, it is a miracle drug. And for that miracle drug to exist, um, you have to uh, allow... You have to... Uh, look the other way uh, from the intense suffering uh, that is being inflicted on this dragon in, in order to get that uh, to pay off. 
those of you who are uh, literary nerds like myself uh, may recognize this is very similar to the concept of The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas, a 1973 short uh, fiction work from Ursula K. Le Guin that is amazing. Uh, and I highly recommend people read it. It's four pages. Go read it. Um, but that idea of like, how do you measure the value that that is brought to society against the very clearly immoral suffering being placed upon a being that has no say in the matter? Like, do are you willing to look the other way in order to allow this healing uh, to continue, to allow the world to operate as it now exists in a world that's incredibly reliant on this medicine in order for anything in this society to work. It's a genuinely affecting question, um, and one that would have been a lot more powerful had it not been for the idea that if you uh, go through all of the side quests you unlock the final ending that allows you to get everything that you want. You get the everything worked out great ending. Uh, so I didn't have to make any sort of moral compromises whatsoever, uh, which, you know, I, I, I guess I appreciate in that it rewards people who put in the work to get there, but I kind of regret doing it. Um, as much as I like 100%ing things like this because I know I'm never going to go back to that game, I do kind of wish that the game hadn't let me get that get out of jail free card because it does undermine uh, a lot of what it was building. But to to circle back to your point of what's the but in this scenario, sadly, it's the gameplay itself. The card system that they use for battling is very repetitive. Uh, it's repetitive because there are random encounters all across the map uh, that mean that you're constantly running into enemies. Uh, you're constantly overleveled if you are exploring the full map for what it is. Um, and you just, because the, the combat system is such that you always have all of the cards that your character has equipped, there's none of the kind of adapting on the fly that you typically get from card games, right? Like, Let's look at Legends of Runeterra, right? And Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, any of those kind of games. You have a deck of cards, right? And you draw some percentage of those cards and gain more of them over time. And part of the strategy of the game and the thing that makes every game play out differently is that you don't have all of your options available. You have to get the most value out of the cards that you have. And how you navigate that, given limited resources and limited information... Uh, is the key to success. You don't have that with this game. You have your abilities that are locked in and you always know you're going to have them. You always know how many gems you're going to have per turn. So at some point, you just learn what the optimal strategy is. And especially by the time you get to the late game when you've unlocked some of your more powerful attacks, it just every battle played out the same way. There's technically a system in which like, oh, you know, every enemy is strong against one type of magic and weak to another. It, it doesn't matter. It absolutely does not matter by the midway point of the game because all of your strongest attacks don't have any elemental connection to them at all. And even if they did, because you have three characters, you only need plan A and plan B. You're never going to have to worry about there being anything that really throws you out. And there's no monster that offers that much of a challenge because of how many random fights the game throws at you and how generous it is an experience in that regard. So it just got to a point. In uh, chapter five was the, the worst of it in the tower where you have to climb up six floors of the same goddamn building in order to finally get to the dragon and have that really cool moment I described. But then you go to the volcano and you've got four floors of the volcano that you need to explore. And then you go to the museum, the mausoleum and the mausoleum has four floors that you need to explore. And they're all the same enemies in each location. So it's not like you're getting a variety of monsters. It only takes you a couple battles before you learn what everybody in that area does and you figure out what the optimal strategy is. And then it's just about not being dumb and just executing the card game. That is a solved puzzle. 
And that's such a goddamn shame because the world building for this is great because this, the story that it builds to, even if it has a very generic start, does end up giving you some moral complexity and makes you ask questions about what you think the right thing to do is in that kind of situation. But the gameplay, the thing that drew me to this in the first place, is repetitive and a solved puzzle. And when you lose the puzzle, when you lose the part of card games that forces you to adapt and make changes and adjust strategies based on situational awareness, I mean, what's left? You're just clicking buttons to do the same thing over and over and over again. And that's a shame. It's a real, real shame. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the but. Um, it was cool until I solved it. I solved it, and there wasn't any challenge from that point forward. That's sort of the problem with like a single-player card game is that at least if you're playing a, a card game like you know Legends of Ruterra against a a you know uh, a human opponent, there is some some uh, unpredictability there, and that if you're if you're doing certain things, or it's like playing Fire Emblem, that once you figure mm-hmm. out what the priority the computer has in a, in a given level. You can exploit that. You can, uh, I, I know, I remember playing Fire Emblem in the way that you would train up weaker units is you would get Sather, one of your big cavaliers or knights or whatever, take the weapons off of them, put them in the middle of the map, and the enemies are going to go hog wild over him because he has no weapon. He can't fight back. He's the easiest target. Ha ha ha. And then you would just like, you know, max level off of that and just keep replaying old maps over and over and over. It is disappointing, though, that the game seemed so relatively easy for you to solve, and that beyond that, the the story, as you said earlier, wasn't in- incredibly, incredibly deep, and it was more about getting these little nuggets here and there that helped flesh out the world. Um, that being said, there does seem to be a sequel to this game. Are you interested in the sequel? Do you want to play the sequel? Are you already playing the sequel and I'm now spoiling your next two games? No, I'm not playing the sequel and I don't know when I will, if I will. It's kind of wild that the sequel came out so soon after the original game. The original game came out in October of 2021. The new one came out in February of 2022. That is just a few months. That's nothing in video game time. And I think it says a lot about how the battle system doesn't really evolve or change. It was so easy to port over, right? Just program a few different abilities for your characters and bam, bam, boom, you're done. The The system is easily reproducible and there's value in that, certainly from a, like a game development perspective. But it kind of gives the game away that they were able to release a second game so soon after uh, that got uh, some pretty harsh reviews because of how similar it was to the first game. Uh, there just simply isn't enough evolution on the genre uh, to draw a lot of people. So, I don't know, man. Um, I I think it's interesting. Maybe I'll find a, a, a Let's Player who played it, even though I don't think this game was particularly popular. I have no idea how financially successful it was or wasn't. You know, it's a downloadable title, so it's kind of hard to to pin down. Um, and who knows? Maybe the reason they came out so closely together is because COVID is a jerk and Isle Dragon Roars was meant to come out a lot earlier and things got delayed, but they didn't want to push back the new one. It, it, it's hard to say. Um, but ultimately, for a card game to work, the gameplay has to carry the day. You have to have these um, the, these interesting puzzles that you solve, whether it's uh, because you have an opponent, uh, a human opponent that you have to adjust to, or because you're playing a roguelike. So many card games go the roguelike route because you have new abilities that are constantly changing how you use the same cards, you know? There, there are ways to do it, and this game wants to be like Dungeons and Dragons. 
It really wants to have that RPG kind of feel where, you know, your character levels up every few sessions or so. And when you level up, maybe you get a new ability and you rotate that out. And now things are slightly different, but otherwise it's the same game. And card games aren't built for that. I ultimately, um, I, ah, man, I don't know. I, I enjoyed a chunk of this game. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of charm to it. I think Yoko Taro is a fascinating guy and there are a lot of, uh, you know, later story beats and just world building throughout that I, I want to recommend. I really, really want to recommend, but I, I can't because the game is the thing that you are left with and the game eventually well before you get to the end becomes boring but hey you know what if you just want a good story experience you just want to explore the world and, and learn what all these characters are up to in this kind of dark morally gray world that yoko taro has created listen to some podcasts just you know go through the grind listen to some podcasts uh pause whenever you get to a story moment it, it, it can work it just it could have been so much more. It could have been so much more. Well, I think that's a pretty a pretty fitting conclusion and a, a summary for both of our games is that it could have been so much more. And and maybe, maybe the thing is, is that that's so much more you're looking for is in the sequel. Maybe, maybe you do just have to try it out and see if they added more. To the sequel. Oh my god, I'm doing I'm I'm marketing for them. Oh you're, I'm trying you're, to make uh, you spend money. You're you're making you remember how you said you weren't gonna play Fable 2 and Fable 3? Uh that you're you're now arguing on the opposite side of that. And as someone who's looked into the reviews, I know for a fact that there is a lot less innovation between the first and second version of this game than there is between Fable 1 and Fable 2. So um Maybe down the line, because I think Yoko Taro is interesting, and I am a sucker for card games. But uh, for now, I'm going to go back to playing Three Hopes, because that game's fucking awesome. <laughs> and I will be, theoretically, ready to talk about that two weeks from now. Uh, but for now, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. You guys can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter, as well as uh, on Spotify. You can follow us on there on the main Rough Drafts feed. Or if you want just the gaming or just the movie podcast, you can go follow uh, Steam Cleaners and Final Cut on their respective feeds. I know we already spoiled what Chase is going to play in two weeks. I have no idea what I'm going to play. I, I have no idea. I'm just going to spin the steam roulette wheel and, and see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what that is. You can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Uh, feel free to, to ask me questions about Three Hopes. I'm currently guiding a couple friends through it. Um, I, I, I am in a dangerous position in which it is possible that I just do nothing but Three Hopes for the next couple months. And I don't think that would be good for the podcast. So I'm going to do my best to hammer that out and, uh, and, and we'll see what comes after that. But for now... Goodbye, Internet.